Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura, and today we're going to talk with Detective Sweet about unlikely connections, premonitions, and the power to make a difference. So this is part two of a two-part podcast that we're doing, uh, and David Sweet is a 23-, 24-year member of the Calgary Police Force, and he specializes in some of the most difficult situations um, and crimes, including drugs, guns, gangs, organized crime, missing persons, and homicide. He's also a writer of Skeletons in My Closet, uh, as well as another book that is coming around courage. And we talked about that in the last episode. And today we're going to explore some more very interesting territory. So welcome back, Dave Sweet. Thank you, Dr. Laura. Nice to be back. Absolutely. So the world is full of challenges and uncertainty, whether it's the pandemic turned endemic, economic uncertainty, the war, as well as polarization in society. On top of that, you deal with the worst types of criminals. How do you stay positive and not get cynical about the human condition, Dave? Uh, well, I think it's a choice. Um, I... I really believe that uh, how we approach the world is a really an internal thing. Uh, we can always be influenced by sort of external factors, like some of the things that you've just listed above. But I make the decision every day whether or not I want to leave the house happy or sad. I leave, make the decision every day whether or not uh, I want to have a good day or a bad day. Um, and uh, so for me, it's sort of like an internal state, more or less, less than an external thing, right? I, I make the decision. And if I want to be sad one day, I decide how long that's going to be. And when I decide I want to be happy again. Okay. And that, that works for you. That's one of the things that works for me. I think the other thing that works uh, well for me is, is uh, I do have an ability to sort of reframe things or uh, look for uh, uh, experiences to be optimistic about. Um and I try to, uh, as we s spoke about in a previous podcast, uh, I try to find the silver linings and things, uh, even things that are, you know, difficult to deal with sometimes. I try to find a positive outlet uh, each and every time. And I think your book, Skeletons in My Closet, really exemplified that, that even in the worst tragedies, there are silver linings and learnings. Yeah, I mean, there is. And it's not to, it's never to, I don't ever want anybody to think that I'm minimizing the impact tragedy has on somebody. And if we didn't have it, um, it would be better. But when we are faced with it, and we see difficult things like this all of the time, how we approach it, how we're going to kind of uh, mentally process it, that is uh, up to the individual. And uh, sadly, I've seen some families and some people not be able to process it very well. And that tragedy that bestowed their loved one now bestows them, completely engulfs them, and ruins their life uh, in a way that uh, they probably never imagined it could. Um, but on the same token, I've seen the other way, uh, where families have rallied around, they've... Uh, um, They've 
come to understand the tragedy, not spend so much time wondering about the why of it, but then looking at uh, maybe creating a legacy or a foundation or an organization or um, telling the story of their tragedy to hopefully, um, you know, shed light on a whole bunch of other issues, intimate partner violence, guns, gangs, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And on the last episode, I talked about how I met you, how you were the uh, head investigator in a double homicide that impacted my family uh, deeply and and was quite horrific. And And I want to say that uh, I think that that experience and going through that definitely taught me a lot. Um, and it's, it's very impactful to go through it. And I think people have different ways of trying to make a difference. And, and as the auntie to Jasmine and Aaliyah, I really wanted to raise awareness to, about domestic violence and the early warning signs of dangerous boyfriends. And how can I make a difference to draw some greater awareness? So I ended up putting on an event called With Her uh, with a wonderful committee of women. And it was um, in November of 2019. So pre-pandemic days when we had big events, no problem. And thank goodness we're back to that again. But this With Her event was really powerful in in bringing experts to talk about what are some of the early warning signs and also how we can understand the issue at hand and make a difference for the organizations that help women leave domestic violence, um, which I understand you're doing in terms of getting them educated and back on their feet through gems for gems, Dave. Yeah. I mean, um, the, certainly I've, I've became involved in an organization called gems for gems, uh, as a scar. Um, I realized, well, I realized a few things, uh, as I, uh, sort of jumped on board and, uh, gave my full support to that, to this wonderful, organization that's run by a gal by the name of uh, Jordan Guilford. Um, one, uh, I wanted to be uh, part of a, an organization that was supporting and empowering women, not go back to their abuser. Uh, Jem spoke to me on that on that level. I was introduced to the organization through a family that had already been supporting who had lost a daughter to intimate partner violence. And, uh, and three, uh, once I started to learn more about intimate partner violence, Violence. I really came to learn or came to know uh, that 85% of the time ish, uh, the abuser is a man. And um, so if men are going to be, if we are the biggest part of the problem, then we have to also be part of the solution. I mean, it just makes sense. And so I feel like uh, when it comes to intimate partner violence, uh, men have to be at the table and men have to be um, working towards trying to figure out uh, uh, solutions uh, that maybe can sort of start to end the cycle of violence. A very lofty goal, I realize. But uh, without men at the table, uh, we wouldn't get there. And to be honest with you... uh, at some point in time, if you take enough, if you're involved in uh, so many investigations where I've uh, removed the bodies of young women that have been killed by an intimate partner, at some point in time, you want to 
be part of the proactive solution, not just the reactive measures that happen as a result of when a partnership ends. No kidding. And so how does Gems for Gems go about that? How does the charity work? Yeah, so there's sort of there's sort of three main prongs. Uh, the first is uh, it started the whole organization started as a jewelry drive, um, and uh, it was sort of in, it was a vision of Jordan's to be able to um, get donated jewelry and then um, and then deliver that donated jewelry to uh, women in shelters. And there's a lovely little note uh, that's attached to each package of jewelry that's given at Christmas time. And really, it's a note that just says, "You know what? We, the women of the world, see you. We, uh, we, 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 we support you, and uh, we wish you well on your journey." Um. And uh, and so that's the first prong, which is uh, is is that's sort of an empowerment piece for women that are in it and they're going through it right now. And it's just to let them know, Hey, uh, you're, you're heard, you're important, uh, you're seen more so, and, uh, we've got you. And then the, uh, the second prong is a public awareness campaign. It's called our thrive program. And, uh, that is a, an opportunity for us to sort of, uh, again, highlight the issues around intimate partner violence and it's it's significant in canada depending on um what website or what statistic you 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 read it's either every five or every six days in canada a woman is killed by an intimate partner it's too many um uh you know twenty uh, percent of girls by the age of 18 have experienced some form of domestic abuse or intimate abuse or intimate violence that's too many one in three women in their lifetime will experience it as well. So this is a huge problem. And we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars a year fighting it. And so uh, our Thrive program brings awareness to all of those things. And again, uh, is an empowerment piece to the women that have survived intimate partner violence. Gives them a place to gather. Uh, uh, and also it gives a, an opportunity for the public to learn a little bit more about this very important issue. And then three, uh, we have a scholarship program, which, uh, we felt was, uh, or Jordan really felt was, uh, an important part of all of this. And what that is, is, is trying to create financial, uh, aid, uh, to women that need, uh, tools and training quickly. And so we've uh, we partnered with one of uh, the aesthetic uh, institutes in Calgary, um, and uh, we're able to deliver scholarships to uh, women that are interested in receiving uh, training that will give them the tools and talents that they need to be successful after a year, uh, and that gives them that sort of financial some opportunity for financial stability. It allows them to work inside their homes as an esthetician things of that nature. They may not have dreamed that was the best thing uh, for them, or that's how they envisioned their lives were going to go. But this gives them the opportunity then to uh, to start their own business and, and that kind of thing. And then four, I guess we do have a fourth. It's a community initiative that we just started. Again, another SCAR um, that was sort of the beginning of all of this, but uh, it's called Hope's Cradle. And uh, Gems for Gems now is... Um, has partnered with uh, 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 
a local fire uh, hall in uh, Strathmore, Alberta, to deliver the very first safe surrender site for infants that uh, um, moms uh, may not uh, feel they can care for or want. It's giving them an option to put a baby in a warm cradle uh, in a fire hall so that they have an opportunity and chance for life. And so that program is called Hope's Cradle, and uh, it's a, a, um, our most recent community initiative. Wow, that is so powerful um, to be able to even save a single baby, right? I mean, is is hugely impactful on the number of lives that that life will will impact. So, how many cradles do you vision having for Hope's Cradle? Well, I mean, I, of course, the vision would be to have cradles throughout the city of Calgary proper and uh, beyond. Uh, we just recently uh, uh, learned that we're going to have another cradle going into Manitoba, which is fantastic. And uh, we hope that the idea just continues to to build and uh, gain momentum and more people will sign on to it. Uh, the cradles, hopefully, they're never used. But... Um, if somebody is considering uh, abandoning a newborn in an unsafe environment, this at least gives them an option to maybe change that narrative where no option like that uh, occurred before. And we can see what the outcome of that is. It's tragic. And uh, uh, I have myself personally been involved in uh, a couple cases where babies were abandoned in unsafe environments and uh, didn't, get the chance to live uh, or uh, uh, a family out there who desperately wanted a baby to ever have a baby to, uh, to uh, uh, grow up with. So, yeah, just to try and imagine that sense of hopelessness that that mother must feel to feel that that is the only avenue abandonment. Um, it's just, it's impossible to imagine, but I think Hope's Cradle gives another point of of thought or reference. I hope it really is just sort of providing an option uh, for for people where one didn't exist before. Um, and so the vision for it is, of course, that there's Hope's Cradles in a number of locations. So it makes the options more available to a greater number of people. You know, I think we really scratched the surface um, in understanding how many infants are abandoned in unsafe environments, such as dumpsters. Uh, I think we scratched the surface. I think it's very rare that we actually come across one, not because they're not in there. It's just that it's rare that we find them. And so hopefully, uh, and, and part of that is, is that uh, a, a big part of the, the demographic of a woman that is considering or a mother that's dis- dis- uh, considering uh, that form of abandonment, uh, has concealed a pregnancy, has probably not been to a doctor, had any kind of health checks. Nobody knows that she's even pregnant. So the baby is born and then is just uh, the decision is made to abandon. And so now we're giving them that opportunity to hopefully be able to abandon that infant uh, in, a, in a place where they can have a life and enjoy a life and a family can enjoy having them in their lives. Well, I hope this gets an excellent buzz and the word spreads on it and you get as many cradles as as your vision calls for. I hope so too. So turning our attention to a topic that I don't usually address on the podcast, but I feel 
that I want to is the idea of unlikely connections and premonitions and what are premonitions? And the skeptic, I mean, trained in science, right, in the science of psychology, but trained in the the five senses and data and knowledge, these things like intuition and premonitions and such, they just don't hold much weight. They, they don't, do they, Dave? No, I understand that. Actually, it's funny because I come from a science background. My father uh, was a uh, was a, a, a well-known and respected uh, paleontologist in uh, in Alberta, and uh, uh, and so I grew up in a family of science. So these ideas, you know, premonitions or uh, intuitions, or I I often call them affirmations, uh, would be difficult for some people to accept. But I've worked around death for fourteen years. Uh, in that time, I've been involved in almost 700 cases of suspicious death or homicide. I've talked to so many families, and they share uh, stories that make you start to believe or wonder whether or not premonitions could actually be true, or if these affirmations, these things that they see uh, after a loved one has passed are actually real uh, and affirmative that maybe there's uh, a part along the journey that we just don't understand yet, you know, but the, the dead are showing it to us in different ways. Yeah. And so I'd like to tell the story um, about the painting. And um, I don't know if you want me to start and then you can kind of finish it up. Yeah, I would love you to start the story. Sure. And what we'll do is we'll show this image on the podcast. Um, on the video version on YouTube. But essentially, um, when my niece and my my great niece were missing, um, it was quite a number of days. It seemed to go on and on. And it was just heartbreaking, um, this whole waiting game. And as days go on, and you you realize they're, they're out there somewhere, you know, and they need to be found. And will they ever be found? And it was, I mean, just such a, a a tragic scenario uh, that was unfolding. And I remember um, I was at a silent auction. It was a charity event for Woods Homes, which a friend of mine brought me to. And I wasn't in the best headspace, but I had already committed to going to this charity event. And I love to support good causes for youth. And that's what Woods Homes is all about is youth. And I said, okay, I'll go for a a couple of hours uh, out to this event and I was drawn to this painting. I was really drawn to this painting. And what it is, is I'm going to hold it up because it's in my office here. But what it is, is almost a dirt road that curves into the forest. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. I've always been drawn to trees and fall colors in this one um, and beautiful sky And so I ended up bidding on this thing. And I wasn't in that social of a mood, to be honest. I'm an extrovert usually, but that night I wasn't. But I kept on going back to the painting and making sure I protected myself as the bidder who would get the painting. Um, And I ended up getting it and bringing it home. And I was 
really praying profusely for the girls that, that next day. Um, and my parents growing up, they had always been very, very charitable people. And my mom was quite religious. And that's how I grew up was with a very religious mother. And and she would always bring turkeys at Christmas to this convent of sisters. So actual nuns with habits and all that. And I decided I would go visit the nuns. I hadn't been in ages. And my parents, I didn't have my parents anymore, but I decided to go visit these nuns and, you know, praying for the girls very, very intensely. And this painting was now home with me. Um, And then the next day, uh, it was announced that the girls were found. And I'm going to let Dave tell you the place that they were found. Yeah, I mean... So it was a, it was amazing because I actually remember, I mean, one of the things that we do is, uh, in these police investigations, anyone, uh, probably be aware. I mean, we've monitor Facebook accounts and things of that nature. I actually think you put a post up about your, your painting. Uh, but you know, lo and behold, uh, I remember seeing the painting as just something that came up. Um, and, and we do that for a number of reasons. I'll just, to qualify it's not because anybody's in trouble but we like to know what information's out there in the public and in the public view and you know if we're sharing information back with a family one make sure that it's sort of staying in-house and and that kind of thing so it's not going out to the greater thing just kind of protect the integrity of the investigation itself so we do monitor different accounts and things of that nature when these things are happening sometimes and i saw the picture pop up on facebook and i could not believe it but uh, the following day and uh, like you say, you'll, I can try and paint the picture uh, uh, for the people who are listening on the podcast, but uh, a picture says a thousand words. And so for those that can tune in to the YouTube channel, they'll, they'll enjoy this. But I was standing on the road uh, uh, that your painting was really uh, painted from, the image of the artist. Uh, I was now there uh, a day later. Uh, recovering the bodies of the two girls. So um, I took a picture of it because I couldn't believe it. Uh, the tree line, the mountains, all of these things in the background that uh, I uh, came to love about the painting and came to love about the picture. Because for me, when we talk about silver linings, affirmations, taking pauses away from really difficult things, that was just a really lovely affirmation for me to know that uh, things were maybe okay and that the girls were in a good place and that they were, um, you know, almost speaking out uh, through a picture that was purchased by a family member uh, to their location. It was almost like painting a a map to their location and uh, it was amazing to see. And whether people believe in it or not, that's fine. But uh, there are some very uncanny similarities between the two pictures. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I really feel in, in, in my heart that that's connected um, to the girls and the girls are at peace. And it, it was a message and other people may not agree. And that's okay. Everyone has their own opinion and belief in um in what's possible and what what signs are out there. But despite all of my training in science, I absolutely um, believe in in intuition and connectedness. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. 
Yeah, and it, it's a beautiful story. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it it has an effect on people when they see the two pictures side by side. And uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, I call them an affirmations, but it's a beautiful affirmation to suggest that, you know, people are sort of sending a message from somewhere saying, you know, we're okay, we're good. You know, to this day, I mean, I wish none of that ever happened to the family. And uh, it was a difficult thing. Uh, I have no words for it. I don't know what it would be like. But I hope the family takes some solace in knowing that there was a lot of things uh, that happened during that time that I think were sort of spiritually connecting on some level. Uh, and, and some of them may have been generated by the girls. At least that's how I view it. And uh, you talk about belief. The only thing I'll say about that is as long as belief creates meaning and purpose in your own life, then who are we to ever say that you're wrong? You know, and I think that's something we all can remember. You know, we all have different beliefs. We all think differently. It takes courage to express a belief. Um, and uh, it's not really up to me to say you're right or you're wrong. Uh, if it brings meaning and purpose in your life, that's fantastic. Really well put. So I think I'm going to change the word premonition to affirmation because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It is, but I will talk, I can just mention real quickly on premonitions. You know, families have certainly shared over time that they've had uh, uh, premonitions uh, that the victims maybe will call family members and tell them that they love them and that kind of thing. I had a case very much like that years ago where the mom believes the daughter's life was faded uh, to end that particular evening, and it was faded because of the phone calls that she made that night to sort of just check in with everybody, make sure they were well. Hours later, she's standing outside of a nightclub and somebody fires a gun into a crowd and that bullet had eyes and it struck her uh, right in the chest and she died immediately at the scene for no reason. It wasn't a boyfriend. It wasn't anything. It was just a random shot. And uh, But she had made the arrangements ahead of time, according to mom that this was uh it's kind of like her final goodbyes without her knowing that they were final goodbyes beautiful another story of a premonition that i love is a story that was shared to me not that long ago by a man whose mother was uh, suffering from dementia and every time he'd go to visit her she was in a flower a garden her garden back in the 1940s and the people that were in the garden were all people that had passed before her so she had brothers and father and mother and people like that that were inside this in this garden she would always visit with them in her dementia state her oldest son passed while she was this way and this being the middle boy he decided he'd show up at the garden or sorry show up at the uh the 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 uh care facility that she was at and uh wasn't sure exactly how he's going to explain to her that her oldest her oldest son had died and thought maybe he would just leave it and on that particular day when she was in the garden and telling him about all the people that were in the garden the oldest son was in the garden that day with her which uh maybe is a premonition as well on some level a beautiful story and maybe suggests that the veil between us is a lot thinner than we think it is. Um, but the last thing I'll say about premonitions, and it goes back to something we talked about earlier. Uh, we talk about uh, intimate partner violence and abuse and one in three women. Uh, not that I'm a harbinger for divorce, 
necessarily, but I would just remind everyone and particularly people, uh, women uh, particularly, that uh, uh, if you're in a situation where somebody's acting to acting um, like they don't care, you should believe them. And that is a premonition as well. And so when we talk about warning signs and things like that, that can lead to trouble later, just always remember that first. If a person acts like they don't care, believe them because they probably don't. And uh, if a person acts conversely like they do, you should believe that too. But uh, I do always want to remind people that I think that's very, very important. Yeah, actions speak loudly, don't they? They do, yeah. Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you have to say. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Or what you're saying. So this is a question I ask all the guests as we're wrapping up here. If you didn't need to sleep and you could buy that time back to do whatever you wanted to do, what else would you do with that time, Dave? Uh, Other than policing, you mean? No, the answer could be policing. So you have, how much do you sleep a night? Seven hours, eight hours? Oh, I don't know. Four or five hours, maybe a night. Okay. If you could get five hours back a day, what would you do with it that you didn't have before? Oh, that's a great question. Hmm. I don't know. I think I would just continue to try and build on the experiences that this life gives you, you know, enjoy every moment of it. So uh, I don't know if I'd be going and, you know, going for a walk, smelling the fresh air, feeling the crispness of the wind, whatever it is, I think that it would be, um, it would be spent having some sort of an experience. Yeah. Beautiful. And if you could have one wish for a better world, what would it be? Uh, I really wish that we could all somehow figure out how to not focus so much on the things that make us different, but to focus more on the things that make us all the same. And I think once we have that, there'd be a better understanding that, uh, you know, we are all people living in this big, basically giant spaceship called Earth, and uh, we need to get along better. And uh, uh, if we all sort of accepted that uh, loving people isn't that hard to do, I think we'd have a much better world. So I would hope that... uh, we could all kind of figure out a way to do that better. And when you say the things that we all have in common as human beings, can you give us a couple of examples? Well, we all have a need for companionship, for love. You know, we we all want compatibility on some level with people. We want to have connection, right? I mean, from a physical perspective, we all look the same on the inside. I know that for a fact. And, uh, you know, I think that um, there's, yeah, I think it's just that human need to, I think we all have it on some level, need for connection, compatibility, um, to feel valued and loved and all that kind of stuff. Well put. It was just wonderful speaking with you on a whole number of levels. Thank you so much for all your insights and what you bring to this challenging world, Dave. Yeah, thank you so much. We're all part of um, just to leave with this whole idea. You know, we if we all want to live in safe, vibrant communities, we all have a part to play. So just 
please, everybody remember that. It's not just the police's responsibility. The police are the people that show up uh, and they're the ones that take the pointy end of the stick. But there's a lot of things that go wrong before the police are ever called to that person's very last or very worst day. And so we all have a part to sort of step up and uh, and uh, make our community safer and more vibrant by uh, recognizing that we all have a role to play in that. And uh, that that's just something I'd just like to leave everybody with. So thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Laura. Thank you for being here, Dave, and for that great final point. So I hope everyone stays well. And if you like this episode, please share it with others who may benefit and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter. Um, and it's full of tools and resources and tips from these wonderful human beings that come onto the show and donate their time to talk about important topics around work and life. Stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.